JT. JT Faith Radio. Yeah. JT Faith Radio. Hello, you beautiful people. This is John. This is Tyler. And this is Brad. And welcome to JT Faith Radio. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna continue. Um, I believe it's part three of United Methodist Questions, United Methodist Answers, or maybe part four. I'll have to look that up. It'll be in the title. But um, but anyway, so we're, we we started this book. It's by um, uh, F. Belton Joyner Jr. And it's United Methodist Questions, United Methodist Answers. And that's a lot of names. Yep. For one person. For one person. But he's got them. And uh, he's got a book with his name on him. There you uh, go. That's more than I can say. That's more yeah. than I can say. <laughs> All right. So this is like question number 10. Why did Jesus have to die? Ooh. Ooh. Let's dig out the old Anselm papers. <laughs> <laughs> So, so why did he have to die? Hebrews says that there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. There you go. I mean, if you want to, the the have, I guess, is the question that, that he's really got us with. Why did he versus why did he have to? Right. That's what gets you into putting, a theological tailspin. I put you in, I, that's why I kept putting the emphasis on have to yeah. die. Yeah, it gets you into a theological tailspin of have to versus why did he? And 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 the the point really is is that he didn't have to die. He's God, right? God could have snapped his fingers and redid everything. God could have chosen a million different ways to do it. But going back to what you were talking about with the blood sacrifice, there was there's no animal, no bird, no no ephra of wheat that's going to carry all our sin. Nothing was perfect enough. Right, right, right. And and for the most part, that's what they were talking about. They understand that uh, they said that you know if you look at the Acts community, the early church, they understood that this was kind of God's plan all along um, for the Garden of Eden. And and I've always kind of tongue in cheek asked this question: So if Jesus died for a pomegranate, what do we owe for killing Jesus? Ah, <laughs> uh, see, we're getting off <laughs> yeah. into. Ooh, yeah, but but go back to Anselm. The reason Jesus did it, his pockets will never empty. He can always pay the price. Right, right. And I go back to that. Forgiveness came in the Old Testament, sort of like on a credit card. Right. And and since Jesus died, our account has been filled mm-hmm. or overfilled to where it'll never run out. And now, instead of paying on a credit card, we pay on a debit card. And, and our forgiveness comes immediately out of the bank account. Um, but the money's there. The forgiveness is there. Um, I, and Anselm, like I said, Anselm really, and I haven't sent you that paper yet, no. have I? Anselm really did write, uh, wrote a whole lot about this, that uh, unless you can devote 100% of your thought, 100% of your time for 100% of your life, to God, then you've sinned. Mm-hmm. You you have taken your focus off of God and onto something else, and in God's eyes, that's a sin. Right, and it required a death, and Jesus died that death for all of us. Right, and, and if if Jesus had never died, if Jesus had never come, then for any of us to find that that 
uh, absolution of sin, we would be continually going to the temple to make sacrifice, and prayerfully that that would then cover our sins. But where Jesus did it, the one perfect sacrifice, we no longer have to do that. We no longer have to worry about, did I did I actually uh, give an offering for that sin or not? Did I did I commit a sin? I don't know. Don't remember. And the tax collector doesn't even raise his eyes. He just keeps his head down, and and he says, "God, please forgive me, for I'm a sinner." Um, but the Pharisee won't go anywhere near the tax collector, and and he lifts his eyes to heaven and he says, "God, thank you that I'm not like other men. Thank you that I'm not like this." tax collector right and then jesus says the one that went away from here glorified is the one the tax collector because he actually asks for forgiveness right and and in god i believe we all find forgiveness through jesus right okay good next question what is the meaning of the resurrection of jesus Mm. eternity starts now very good yep very good. Yeah, I'll always say the your eternity starts the day you accept Christ. That's right. The day you say yes. That's right. And uh, the, the there's other one other word that I, I give it is vindication. <laughs> because it was it vindicated the life of Jesus, his teachings, his his morals, his everything that he did. It vindicated everything, and um, and so there's there's this. Um, I'm really trying to remember Weaver's first name, but um, he writes um, a, a narrative Christus Victor is what he has. And, and he really goes to this understanding that, that, that the death really isn't um, necessary, but it was evil manifested in, it, in itself upon God, trying to kill God. And then God vindicates Jesus through the resurrection. And the, where he and I differ, he says Satan's an illusion. I'm like Jesus talks about Satan. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think Jesus was delusional, you know. So, um, so we, we we differ on that. But but it's 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 the vindication of of all that Jesus said and does and did and and was. Well, and C.S. Lewis even writes that if if you look at Jesus's life, he's either mad, bad, or God. <laughs> and and literally Jesus was either crazy mm-hmm. or Jesus was was crooked and he was some sort of a criminal that's trying to lead people astray. Well in the death and resurrection like you says vindication is proof right that everything this man said I I am the son of God. No one comes to the father except through me. All of these things were proven true. Right, and um, Frank Turek, I, I love the way he says uh, it, this would have been a very easy thing to disprove. Mm-hmm. All the Romans would have had to do is present the body, or the Jews, either way. Yep. And and it's not there because Jesus is still living in it. Right. Well, here's something that's interesting, and I, I didn't know this until um, my sermon this past week on on stand. And that there has been a Messiah that was claimed in the ni- in the twentieth century. He died like in nineteen thirty four, 
And I'm like going, they've been claiming messiahs. Israel has been trying to put these messiahs forth since that day. And, of course, they had one during the Jewish revolt. Didn't work. They had one in, like, the second century, and he didn't He didn't turn out so well either. You know, so. Well, there, there were people that claimed to be the Messiah prior to Jesus as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not. I'm not clear exactly where it's somewhere in the book of Acts. Uh, they they sit down with the Sanhedrin council and they've they've whipped Peter and John, and and so they put them out and they're discussing it. And he says to them, he says, "Men of Israel, you had this one that was before Jesus, and you killed him, and his movement went away." And right. you had this right. one that was before Jesus. You killed him, and, he, and his movement went away. But now, if if you kill these men, you may very well find yourself fighting against God. And and so they they did not kill Peter and John at that time. Um, but it, it's very interesting that we miss these little nuggets coming up through the Bible that there were other people claiming to be the Messiah. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that Israel is is still putting them forth. Yeah. Well, they're, they're still looking for the first Messiah. <clears throat> so, all right, next Did you have anything to add, Tom? Uh, I'm right there with you. All right, next question. This is where I said before the show that this would be a little apropos for, for the <clears throat> season we're in. Will Jesus come again? Absolutely. For sure. How do I know? He said he would. <laughs> Take the man at the word, <laughs> yeah, and and that's and that's something that um, that that I mean, Paul Paul believed that he would have come in his life. I think the problem we have two thousand years later is that it's been two thousand years, and we're, we're matter of fact we're get we're at the end of that two thousand years, getting ready to embark on the beginning of our third millennium. Now, something I, I I was telling somebody the other day, and and I, and I kind of threw it out there. I said, "Now, he, this is just a Johnism. It's not theologically sound. It's not too far off, but it's not theological. It's it's not anything anybody is going to back me up on." What scripture say about time? A day in the Lord's house is like a, a thousand, thousand years. years. <clears throat> okay, and let's not be particular. But how many days was Jesus in the tomb? Three. All right. Maybe so, <laughs> maybe. Well, I was going to go with the forty hours. So three ish. But but anyway, the what I was what I was going toward was, and I said the verse, and I said if it is a thousand years, but a day, he's only been gone two days. That's right. There you go. So he may be waiting for that three days. <laughs> That's right. And, and 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 I and I am the first to say that I'm not prophesying that because the only prophecy that I give anybody that I will stick behind is that I'm closer today than we we were closer today than we were yesterday. There you go. That's the only prophecy I will give you um that has any weight to it. But but we're told that he will come again. I mean the 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 entire lean of the New Testament is about the 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 second coming. And this time of year speaking of, I mean that's the same I I went with that this last Sunday as well. It's it's advent season for us right now and and uh, I very specifically ironed out the difference between Advent and Christmas, which is preparing for the coming of Christ versus Christ has come, uh, the difference there. And then, so, I mean, it is one of those type seasons where we look at the 
first birth and when we look at Christ coming the first time at Christmas is are we going are we coming or going is the question when you fall into advent because we're reminded of with Christmas Christ being born but we also have to remember that he is coming again and we and we as Methodists say that most every Sunday I mean we you know affirmation of faith and things you find that Christ will come again right and 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 I think the the thing that to to really nail that point a little bit is um and and Brett we've talked about this like in the manger scenes <laughs> yeah, it really bothers us that yeah. before the twenty fifth, Jesus, Jesus is there. Is there. <laughs> yeah, I mean let's 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 let the the, the magi leave for a minute. I mean you know because right. I, I mean aside from the fact that they never were at the manger, and and when you get people to actually read the Bible, they go, hey, wait a minute, this is two years later at least. You know, so it's something that that we get it wrong, but it's a good teaching aid, perhaps I guess for little kids. But as we grow up to adults, we should know the difference. Right. But this season of Advent literally is to keep watch. And what are we keeping watch for? It is the second coming. That's right. And um, so, yeah, we we fully fully believe in in the second coming. All right. And I'll throw this little nugget out. The thing I've challenged my congregations with is, are you going to let this Christmas be just like all the other Christmases that you've lived through? the 30 40 50 18 19 for andrew and andrea yeah um or are we actually going to be the people that this little baby came to save and and are we going to allow ourselves to be prepared y'all know i'm i'm following that that little lectionary series that they're going through this week is refined Mm-hmm. I've been looking up the melting temperature of metals. Okay. Gold, silver. I tend to melt at the temperature of tungsten. It's got to be really hot to melt <laughs> tungsten. I, and, and this is my hard-headedness and my, my bullishness in I, I never let God change me. What melting temperature are you going to be? Mm-hmm. So you can be changed by God. That's right. That that's going to be my my thing for this week. And the refiner's fire. And the, there's the story, and it goes around every year on the internet. The women that get together, and they want to go check out the analogies of the Bible. One goes and follows a shepherd around. One goes and sees what a fuller does, which is a laundry institution. Um, but the third one goes, and she sees a, a metal refiner, a gold refiner. And so she calls him, and he says, yeah, be here early tomorrow. She gets there, and he goes through the refining process, and, and she's asking questions, and he's heating the gold. He's got it at the end of a stick, and it's out there in the fire, and it's warming up in the room, you know. And he's scraping off the slag off the top, and he's going from a big crucible to a smaller crucible, and and he keeps telling her now this you got to really keep an eye on the gold or because if you get it too hot you ruin it and and so when he finally gets to the smallest crucible he says to her he says well this is the final step and she says really well how, how do you know it's done and he says well that's easy when i can see myself in the gold yep and, and and so the the beauty here has to be yes we're in the fire yes our impurities are being cooked out just like the metal but our creator is in the room at the other end of the stick 
feeling the same heat that we feel, although not in the fire with us, he is still holding our feet in the fire, holding us in the fire. So our impurity, and he's having to keep watch. He's got his eye on us every second. So at this Christmas time, at, at this re-celebration of the birth, are we going to fall for all the capitalism and all the advertisements and the, the Budweiser horses and, and all this stuff? Are we going to go for that? Or are we going to give this man a welcome mat into our life and be the people that he wants us to be? Sorry, I got kind of preachy there, didn't I? No, but sorry. <laughs> That'll preach. That illustration's in my sermon Sunday, too. <laughs> Although mine's with silver, so. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so, th- so you know, we, we, we believe that, and that's what this, this part of the season's for. Um, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with Jesus? Everything. I think the harder question would be, what does the Holy Spirit not, not have to do yeah. with Jesus? Well, that wasn't the question in the book. Then we we need to call this guy with these five <laughs> names. <laughs> he needs to rewrite that book. <laughs> At least this question. The, the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to do the whole thing. The Holy Spirit was God's presence with Jesus from baptism through death all the way to the resurrection. Okay. I, which this kind of brings up another question. Did Jesus show up and have all this knowledge, or was God giving it to him a little bit at a time? Well, first, we don't know. That's one of those questions but, but we cannot we, answer. We can't answer. But but you, you, you kind of look at it from the standpoint that different periods uh, in Scripture where Jesus grew in understanding. Um, the greatest one that I always use as an example is the Seraphonician woman. You know, I mean, she comes up and he even refers to her own culture as dogs, and he agrees, right? Says, I came for the Jews. And her persistence, her being put in place to open the door that Jesus would walk through to broaden his ministry, that was a, that was a kind of lead you toward a i'm giving this to you in bits and pieces mm-hmm. but at the same time when he's sitting in a room during the the man being uh, being lowered the paralytic being lowered and he knew their hearts that kind of goes to the yeah. other way so right. you, you, you can make argument one way or the other but i think until we get there we, we don't know right yeah um one of the things the book was pointing out was just make sure that you when you say um, about the Holy Spirit is that it's a co-equal. The the Rach the, the is, is co-equal uh, with the Son and with the Father. And um, so that was the one point that it pointed out. We're going to actually tackle some more Holy Spirit questions next time. How about that? Yay! But, yeah, we got four out today. I thought that was a pretty good start. Yeah. All right. Well, um, for JT Faith, I'm John. I'm Tyler. And I'm Brad. God bless and have a good day. Thank you for listening to JT Faith Radio. Come visit us at jtfaith.com. <laughs>